0: And welcome to the summer edition of the First Intuition Podcast. My name's Kelly O'Donovan and I'm here to take over some of our episodes during the summer while Ben and Dave have a well-deserved break. It's my pleasure to be joined today by one of my colleagues, Ian Thorogood. Hello, Ian.
1: Hello, Kelly. How are you doing today?
0: Yes, yeah, not bad at all. Great to be recording a podcast on a lovely sunny, sunny, what we? Well, Wednesday afternoon.
1: Excellent. No, no, well, it's chucking it down the brain at the minute here. So classic summer time is here.
0: So we thought, what kind of things could we talk about over the summer? And you have those kind of holiday times often at this time of year where you've got time to sort of sit and reflect. So one of the topics that we thought we would talk about today is thinking around careers and that sort of broader spectrum of you get to qualification what am I going to do next? What skills am I going to need to build? And thinking about those kind of future paths that we might take. I thought what would be interesting, though, Ian, is before we get into some of that detail, I know you've had a very varied career since finishing school. Uh, what we like to do on the podcast is to have a little, I suppose, superheroes origin story to help our listeners understand a little bit about the people on the podcast and to share their experiences. So let's start with that. Tell us a little bit about you. What's your superhero story then Ian?
1: So my superhero story probably is themed around Spice Girls and the song of To Become One because the story of my career is I really had two prongs to my career which has culminated in the last five or six years of a joined up Uh, job that I've got using both of those strands so after university I did a very sort of science-based university degree and I was thinking about getting into teaching because I like doing that sort of helping others out at school so I went and did a teacher training for a few years in London and became a qualified teacher there in a high school but then I was kind of still in my early 20s and I thought "Oh, did I have teaching for the rest of my life is for me And so I wanted to get into something a bit more money orientated or financially orientated. And that got me um, signed up to my local um, accounting firm where I trained in their audit department as an ICAW student. And I basically stayed there for 10 years and I worked my way up within the accounting firm all the way up to a role called associate director, which basically meant I was signing off on some of the lower risk audit reports there and that showed a great number of career development steps going up for those 10 years but then once I sort of been there for about 10 years I was at that tipping point of career decisions of do I stay and try and make it up to that sort of final step up to partner or do I do something else? And I think at that point sort of life stages of thinking about having young children and my wife was working quite full time and I was working full time. We thought maybe you need a bit of a step change. And that's when Spice Girls came to me and their beautiful song of two became one. And I took my teaching career from my early days straight out of uni and my accountancy career that i would just been building for the last 10 years. And that's when I then joined FI about five, six years ago. And so now teach accountancy. And so I've had a sort of different steps going through, but I feel it's in a nice, happy place now of uh, combining both those prongs of my careers, really.
0: Yeah, brilliant. I know when I left school, one of the things I always wanted to do was to become a teacher. But my dad actually put me off wanting to be a teacher because he was a head teacher. So I went down the accountancy route first because I knew it's such a a good kind of experience and, and broad qualification that could lead you to do lots of different things in in the future. Um, and then full circle ended up moving into teaching and combining then the two passions that I had deep down. Exactly.
1: Which the teaching
0: exactly. and some of the finance. But I suppose we're perhaps a little bit more unique. You don't find many individuals that fancy doing teaching and accountancy.
1: Yeah, no, it's it's a it's a great it's a winning combination when we find it.
0: <laughs> Excellent. And um, I suppose one of the things that we're wanting to think about today is let's say that I've kind of just finished my AAT or I've maybe got to the point where I'm coming up to the end of my sort of level seven, my ACCA, my ICW, SEMA qualification and I'm starting to think about that kind of longer term career, how am I going to progress myself beyond that just getting qualified? What would be some of your tips in terms of key skills do you think that I would need to make sure I equip myself with to give me that platform to launch from when it comes to then choosing career options later?
1: Sure so I think what I draw upon here is we obviously run a number of skill sessions throughout the time that apprentices in particular are studying with us and there's one that I often deliver which comes towards the end of a apprentices of journey through the qualification and it's applicable whether you're an apprentice or not really about these kind of skills of beyond the qualification and getting qualified so there's a number of these that I can give examples for from when I worked particularly in practice and I worked up from being a brand new entry level trainee all the way up to that AD role and the first things I talk about which definitely helps you stand out as an accountant in particular is presenting and presentation skills. The stereotype of an accountant is often someone that's a little bit shy, likes staying behind their spreadsheets and their laptops, dealing with the numbers. And they might be a little bit apprehensive if put in front of a group of people or asked to communicate in front of maybe a client or the board. And this is where you can really stand out as a qualified accountant, because, yes, you can have the qualifications, but if you've got the ability to communicate those complex accounting terms with non accountants, you will be seen as future sort of career progression material because they were be like, as you move upwards, you will start needing to be talking in front of teams, addressing the board, addressing clients more often. So, presentation skills is a key one that I often flag up to people. And indeed, we sort of have sessions on how to really focus on improving those presentation skills and we've had some great feedback from apprentices where they've then taken that away and used it in work to show that they have taken on board those things and it just it makes you stand out from the crowd and I think sometimes one of my later points about taking proactive steps in your own career is career progression rarely just happens to you you have to actually want it and go out there and stand out from the crowd to just put a little bit of pressure on that door to open that door and that's both from the point of view that leaders don't want to just give people automatic pay rises and promotion without showing any real desire for it and also they only want people that want to do that. So you doing things like putting your head above the parapet a bit saying, Oh, I want to talk about that at the next department meeting or I would like to come in with you when you present that to the board and just present that bit if possible. So those little sort of baby steps on presenting that really start showing your you put yourself on the radar of some of the more senior people. And that in many industries is how you can move upwards. So I'd definitely say presenting skills. I I know as a teacher, as teachers, we're quite happy with presentation skills. But um, I think many accountants struggle with that part of their job. I don't know if that's what you found as well, Kelly
0: yeah and I think it's it's not necessarily that you have to be able to stand up and kind of do a big PowerPoint presentation into a group of you know to a group of people. It depends on where you work, but even if I think about some of the meetings that I'm in, you know there will often be um sort of packs of information where someone's got to talk through that pack of information, and as you said in it's actually that communication so when we're talking about presentation skills, it's been able to present the financial and sometimes non-financial data. Mm-hmm that you've put together that you've added you know that you've brought together to the board or to the meeting or for whatever reason it is and been able to coherently effectively communicate that to others um and as an employer and having employed many people over the last sort of 10 15 years for me when i'm looking at you know why why am i going to give someone that kind of promotion it's Then being able to show me that they're adding value, that they're doing something beyond the minimum. I think it's too often now you see people where they will just be sitting back and waiting for that promotion to come to them. And I know we're going to talk about this later. And the reality is that is unlikely to happen. And It's how do you stand out from the crowd? How do you add value and communication skills? Absolutely. Particularly now where we're seeing huge amounts of automation. You know, a lot of the work that I would have done when I trained, you know, a computer does it. We've yeah. got advancements in things like artificial intelligence, you know, that are going to further automate what happens within a finance department. But what they can't do is they, they can't deliver those softer skills. So I think with the advancements in technology, actually, those softer skills are going to become even more important than they were before. So not just the technical ability, but actually the the automation how are you going to stand out to have more skills than than the machines have
1: and something you just mentioned there made me think as well that is a concern for me for people nowadays compared to pre covid where a number of businesses have gone not really gone fully back to in face meetings and so mm-hmm. you might be having meetings over teams or zoom where there's five six seven or more people on the zoom and whereas at least if that used to be a meeting in a room you were physically there and you could think oh I've not said anything yet I need to chip in whereas I think with the teams kind of environment it's very easy if you're Mm -hmm. someone a bit more junior down to just be logged on be there but no one almost realize you're there because unless you start speaking and joining in with the meeting you're invisible to some of the other people in that meeting really so that's another more up-to-date point that I think I never had to wrestle with when I was starting out my career but I think some people are now and Mm. don't be afraid that presenting could be just the communicating of thinking oh I've got a good bit of insight to add here don't be afraid to unmute yourself and get chipped in because if you don't start doing that communication in meetings like that you're just anonymous and people forget you're even in that meeting.
0: Mm, absolutely I think that's a really good tip so it's it's how do you present what method are you going to have to be presenting and it could be a variety of things Mm. I think the other thing as well that strikes me is once you sort of become qualified you become more experienced and you sort of start taking on more responsibilities often one of those responsibilities tends to be around line managing people yeah the AI is not going to be able to Do that effectively. So, what are your kind of thoughts on those people skills and how actually they start to, in some ways, overtake the technical skills?
1: Exactly. Now, I distinctly remember back in my um, teacher qualification days being shown from some person who is high up in some management business school a graph and said, The reason why teaching is so valuable is teaching really gets you on those skills of. Dealing one to one with a wide range of types of people, how to motivate people to want to learn in a subject they might not want to learn with, how to deal with difficult parents who might be unhappy of what's happened with their child and juggling the many of uh, demands that comes from several different lessons all in one day. And showed this graph. And on one line, it was technical ability and on the other line and or, or there there's two lines on this graph. One was blue and it was technical ability, one was red, and it was your social or people skills. And it said sort of over the time, the graph would have along the bottom time and your career, and then up the side was importance. And he Clearly said, many people get drilled into them, the better your grades at school, the better your A-levels, better your degree, the better job you will get. Now, and he said, that's true. You do start off in your career. The more technically able you are, the better the job it is. But that line very quickly started to drop down. And this red line about your social skills, your ability to run a team, to deal with different people, handle troubling situations. He showed that graph, that line going up and up and up and up. And he said, what you guys, for us who are training teachers are doing, you're building on, you know, you've already got those high technical skills. Now your teacher training is going to help you with some of those soft skills. And I think particularly in practice, I would see this where because in practice, it's such a professional kind of environment. Everyone's quite highly qualified. They really do focus on the importance of technical ability and Often that was to the detriment of some really good candidates who didn't wake up and realize, oh, hang on, the people that are getting ahead are the ones that seem to build really good relationships with the clients or seem to be the ones who their team members, when they now are a bit more senior and have teams working for them, will go the extra mile for them, will want to work for them, as opposed to I'm sitting here and I'm doing my job really well, but the people, the trainees that work for me don't seem to be that motivated. And the clients don't really seem to get on that well with me. I don't know why I'm not getting promoted upwards. And they didn't put two and two together of those people skills really overtaking the technical. And they don't just happen. You need to learn them. Just like you you come to college to do your studies for your qualification. You need to do things to improve your social skills and whether that's observing someone who's good at it and just say, what are you doing when you're talking to the team to motivate them maybe it's sitting in on appraisals and line manager reviews to think okay I now have to start being a line manager what kind of ways do you give that feedback to that your junior and then I might be able to copy it in my team and or even you know in the day of the internet we can quite happily just go onto YouTube and watch some sort of TEDx videos or YouTube videos on those kind of managerial skills of how do you motivate people how do you line manage people and having that appreciation that every individual underneath you is a person with their own drivers their own issues they're dealing with and you need to adjust and adapt yourself in the right way
0: Absolutely. And I think, uh, you know, I was wondering if, you know, when you reflect back to your role when you were higher up in in practice, like I think about my role now, most of my job is actually to deal is is dealing with either the team that's working with me or dealing with clients. And some days there will be something I haven't really done much. I haven't been at my computer all day long. haven't produced anything but actually part of your job becomes more of that of that management of of different stakeholders
1: exactly that and I remember with my um that sort of leads me a little bit onto the idea of delegation really because you're saying there that concept of oh I haven't really done anything today but everything does get done and Mm -hmm. it's that concept that many organizations have of the pyramid idea and that people often join at the bottom and the bottom of that period, py- pyramid is where you're really getting the doers doing a lot of the doing. And as you move upwards, your role so much adapts to being, like I say, like you were describing, the sales aspect or handling clients where they want to see someone senior and they need you to be able to cover a breadth of the organisation in your conversations with them. But they appreciate that someone else will deal with the technical detail that you, they need. And also the people side of things, because without the triangular approach to your team, you won't have the lower down people that are a bit more needy for direction or for training up to have that time from you as a manager or director helping them in that direction. And so delegation is key there because those people that struggle with that career upward steps are ones who keep trying to still doing all their day job as well as being a line manager or sort of a director or client relationships director, whatever your title is, because it cannot fit in. And you can only make that happen by the doing part, being delegated down to someone who's sort of one or two steps beneath you.
0: I think that definitely takes practice, though. And I know over the years, I personally have found that, quite challenging at times I think I am a natural control freak so there's always that because the responsibility you can't fully delegate you can't fully ever delegate responsibility you know that's what that's part of your role when you're in a more senior position but it is learning that you can't do everything and actually if you don't learn to delegate that's not good for your team you're not helping them to develop themselves and to build the skills that they need on a personal note, you're going to break at some point because there are only so many hours in the day in a week. And it's only so long that you can keep doing an 80, 90 hour week before that's going to have a detrimental effect on your health. And then, yes, that's not going to be good for you. And it's also not going to be good for your team. If they're having to be managed by someone who is highly stressed, you know, at risk of them becoming ill, potentially, it is. It is something that you've really got to think about, I think, quite carefully and learn to let go and trust and know that if you've got the right team, your job is to enable them, you you know, the team don't work for you as the manager. The manager's role should be working for your team to enable them to to progress and have a fulfilling fulfilling career and jobs as as well.
1: And I, I was fortunate. Doing my career in practice because within practice, there was a natural mechanism already established that forced that delegation in the, in the audit department. We would have a budget for our audit jobs and different levels of seniority would have different charge out rates. And so by the end of my time in practice, my trainees were maybe 80 pounds an hour at the bottom entry level. And my charge out rate was £350 an hour. So there was no way that I could be still doing the doing because it would absolutely blow the budget. And that helps delegation in practice because you're forced to go down to the lower sort of charge out rate um, person within the team. Outside of practice, it often doesn't occur like that. And it's a good tip that if you don't work in practice, why not try and artificially just think, Okay, what would my internal charge out rate be compared to somebody else? And if you think, well, I'm twice as important in terms of my experience and the things that I can do, I could do twice as much as my trainee. Well, okay, give yourself a charge out rate of 200 pounds and give them 100 pounds and just make that think of, well, if everything I'm doing is costing the business twice as much as if the trainee did it, that's where you might start driving the delegation down. And help with getting over that initial inertia of not wanting to delegate down.
0: Yeah, you, you still see it happen though, don't you, where mm. you know you, you hear feedback from trainees, from apprentices where that their their line managers won't delegate. I um, mean it becomes quite sort of challenging. So if, you know, particularly if they're working for someone that's you know got that sort of real tight level of of control. And I think sometimes there's this there's this fear that if you give the job to someone else, they might do it better than you. Well, I think brilliant. That's what I want as a manager is actually having that, I suppose, um, self-reflection of what you are, what your own strengths and weaknesses are. I have no fear if someone in my team can do a particular task better than me. Brilliant. They're a fantastic team member. That's that's what I want as a manager. I want a team of people who've actually got a better skills than me. And my job is to coordinate and then get the best out of them.
1: Yes, and I think I've seen experience in the past where those kind of managers that you described who won't delegate down because they're fearful that someone is going to do that better than them. They're often, I find in my experience, that they've hit that kind of, if I call it, middle management level level. And they clearly have decided I don't have the skills or the tools to move higher up. And so now I want to be super protective of my level. Mm -hmm. And if there's a new person coming in who's doing my job better than me, what does that leave me for? And that leaves them a bit vulnerable and feeling exposed. And that can sometimes stop the delegation down. And that I mean, that's something where... Um, When we sort of talk towards the end about proactive steps in your career, being able to identify if there is that block, that manager block above you where they're not moving upwards because they've hit their glass ceiling. And because they're being protective of their position, you might not be able to move upwards. It's just it can happen in organisations sometimes and having the awareness to spot that and what you can do about it is sometimes an important thing for those career steps going up.
0: I'm thinking let's let's think about some top tips then Ian about how am I going to be able to build these skills so we've mentioned a few of them already you know one of the fantastic benefits of things like the new apprenticeship schemes that have come out over the last few years is actually being an apprentice you have to be shown to develop those skills and behaviours your line manager is often actively involved in your development to help create those workplace opportunities Um, we've talked about there's loads of resources obviously available you know on the internet TED talks lots of great stuff on YouTube and if you're part of First Intuition and you are an apprentice there's lots of things like skills workshops and again online resources but are there any other practical things I'm thinking that I can do if I want to build my confidence at things like communication managing people and I know one of the things that I did is once I qualified I actually took some time out to then go traveling and that massively changed me as a person because I put myself in a situation where I was the other side of the world I was on my own I was always a very 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 shy person up until this point I know people (laughs) who know me would be a bit surprised by that but I was really shy I was really introverted but I knew that if I wanted to get more fulfilling career and more out of life I needed to learn some of those skills so for me actually going traveling for a period of time massively helped me deal with difficult situations have to communicate with people that I didn't know have to communicate with people from different backgrounds I think that really helped me I know um, on a personal level my stepson, actually, we've said to him, look, you've got a gap between your A-levels and starting work. Go travelling for six weeks. And that's what he's doing now, which hopefully he's enjoying himself. He hasn't wanted to come home yet. So maybe not too much of a disaster. Any other kind of, I suppose, top practical tips or things that you've done at all, Ian, that you think, how am I going to how do I get then?
1: So I'd say definitely don't be afraid to see the transferable skills that different roles have given to you. Obviously, I mentioned about how I started off doing a few years teacher training initially. And I know some people might think, well, what help does that give you other than being a teacher? And as I described at the beginning, there's loads of those kind of communication or social skills uh, that you built as a teacher. And I'd say you don't have to go away and be a teacher to gain those skills. You may well have some work experience Um, that you've had working in a shop or working, um, in a factory for a bit of time or an office. And it's applying those and thinking, hang on, I have done some of this and showing that you can use it in your current role. And I think a lot of people sometimes get pigeonholed into this is your role. This is all I need you to do. But there's very few managers, as you described earlier, Kelly, who aren't welcoming to someone who works for them to say I'd like to get involved with this please or can I just sit in and watch how this is done and even if it's not the doing of it the sitting in and watching is amazing I remember I had a really tricky um, time initially giving sort of negative feedback when I became a line manager because I'm a generally a happy smiley kind of a person and I like giving positive feedback and I knew a couple of or one particular person I line managed I needed to basically tell them they weren't doing what they needed to do and they were a bit naive and didn't see this so what i ended up doing is i sat in an appraisal with someone else doing an appraisal of a similar ilk but this was someone who'd been a line manager for like 10 years and they said come and sit in my chat with so and so you can just see how i approach that conversation so I did those kind of observations, sittings, just exposing myself to people that have already done that role so that I'm then ready to take it on myself. even if I feel it's outside my comfort zone. So it's those little pushing yourself outside your comfort zones by taking those opportunities. And even if those opportunities aren't there, no, even if I didn't line manage anyone, I could still have asked to sit in some people's appraisals just so that I'm a bit better prepared for it. Otherwise, you'll sometimes have the opportunity arise and they might expect you, right, can you do this now? And like, oh, I've got absolutely zero knowledge of what to do here. Whereas if you've sat in and observed a few people before, then that's definitely a good way to go. things. So you can either ask to get opportunities or sit in with other people like that. I think a massively good one for building your confidence is whatever work you're in typically there'll be some kind of team meeting at some point throughout the year. And those team meetings are really quite safe spaces to practice communicating. And like we said earlier, just putting your head above the parapet a little bit to say, oh, can I do the 10 minute talk on this new thing we've got to know as a team? And that's the kind of going and asking for that. Even if they say, actually, no, this time we can't fit you in. You've put your head above the parapet saying, I'm interested in doing this. And the last thing I'd say really is, on the appraisal side, hopefully where you work, you get a good appraisal every six to 12 months. And those are great opportunities for you to start saying, I really want to develop in this direction. What opportunities do you, my appraiser, think that there is in the organisation for me? Because you might think there's nothing for you. Whereas your line manager, who might be some manager or senior manager somewhere in your work, they might have a great tapped in knowledge of the whole organization saying well you should go and work here I know Greg over there is really looking for someone to join their team for six months I mean I hadn't thought about you but it sounds like you might be up for it and it's that kind of initial you saying I want to progress myself I'm looking for opportunities that's the steps you can take to show the wider organization that you're keen to move upwards
0: communication i think is a key thing isn't it that we keep going on about here various different types of communication and that ability to self-reflect and then seek out those opportunities through your communication with your appraiser you know with other people within the organization if you've got a mentor for example and actually thinking about how do i create those opportunities being proactive so communication self-reflection i think and being proactive certainly some key themes that i'm hearing us talk about here mm-hmm. I suppose to round up then, how do I even know what my next steps are, Ian? How, how what where does that come? How do we decide what what our career is going to look like? What sort of advice have yeah, you? Got so round? my
1: my initial time of my career, I think my my biggest step of trying to think what's my career now look like is when I really reached a fork in the road of do I carry on in practice and try and work up to that partner level or do I look for something else? And it was That's something else, which is quite an unknown factor. And I think maybe when you're 21, 22, you have very few commitments and the world is your oyster, then there's almost no such thing as a wrong move, because any step you take at this stage won't define your whole life Mm. and your whole career. And you will be able to take some really good learning from it, even if the place you end up working, you hate working there. You're only there for a year. Well, you can take some learning at that stage about what it is. But I think as you get slightly older into your late 20s and into 30s, maybe you've got a partner, maybe you start having a family. Those next step decisions need to be really holistic in approach. They need to think not just what does my career want to look like? It's what kind of life do I want to be leading in five years time? Do I want a job which does give me the opportunity to work part time? Do I want the job that gives me an opportunity to go really high up? Because actually my family setup is that I'm going to be the breadwinner really for the next 10 years and so for us to live the lifestyle we want I do want a career that's high paid what's my commuting that I'm realistically able to do in which case how wide is my net there and is there any things that I haven't yet done you mentioned about going traveling and you know it's one of my regrets that I did six weeks traveling around Europe after A-levels before uni but I never then did any other traveling when I was younger and it's one of those things that now when you've got children it's quite hard to do and the great thing of accountancy in particular is it's very portable around the world. Mm. And so your next steps might be think stepping back holistically and think, I've never, maybe you've never had a break in education all the way through. And now you're a qualified accountant age 23 and you think, I've never had a break. And so your next steps might be, okay, I am going to go traveling. I'm going to try and work in Australia or America or wherever I want to go working. And I will take some learning from it. And I'll go there with the view that, like I said, it's not a forever decision. It's a decision that takes your next step. So that's my biggest tip about deciding on your next step is definitely think holistically, not just narrowly career focus. And do just look up and look around your own organisation, because the easier option often is staying wherever you are working and maybe changing your role within where you work. That's okay if you're in quite a large organisation, but if you're somewhere which only employs 20 people, chances are you're not going to have a huge amount of opportunities. And so don't be afraid to look wider than your own work, but don't do so neglecting your conversation of works, because you'll be amazed sometimes, even in an organisation of 20, of just having a conversation with your line manager or someone else and think, look, I've reached this stage this is honestly cards on the table, what I'm considering. I don't really want to move away, but I don't know if opportunity for developing this way is here. And then at least give them the opportunity to say back to you, well, let me go away and think about that. Let me speak to the directors. Let me speak and see what we can do. And they might come back and say, actually, we've been thinking about this thing for a while. You coming forward and saying this to us, as maybe we've now got someone that can take this forward. Mm -hmm. Would you like to help us with this project here? And It's again coming back to one of those proactive things, but also it helps you with those next steps of just talking to your current employer and talking to a wider group of people and thinking holistically, not just about your career, but your wider life wants and desires so that you make a decision that's right for you as a whole person, not just for, all right, well, that'll get me an extra five grand compared to where I am now.
0: Definitely. I think it's, it's knowing what your own personal why is, you know, I think Mm -hmm. there's some previous podcasts, we talked about things like motivation, it's, you know, what's motivating you right now? what is it that you're seeking out of, out of life? And often we're, I think, too scared to ask, as you say, it's too scared to have that conversation with our our employer that we work with at the moment. It's like, what's the worst that's going to happen? Ultimately, if you've been a good employee who has made a contribution in your role that's reliable, that's got the skills that they need, for me as an employer, I would want to be trying to look at, OK, so how can we utilise this person? That I think it's fantastic. How can we utilise them better? How can, how, how can we create then those opportunities? Now, I would always be if someone came to me that I knew was good and that they'd proven to be good in their role. They would sort of, as you said, being proactive where possible, I'd be looking at how I could help them as an employer, to develop within the company that I've that that I'm in at the moment you know you don't want to lose you never want to lose good people we often hear a lot of employers saying they're struggling with things like retention Um, and I I say you have got to think about what is what is it that you are wanting and as you go through your life correctly as I said Ian things will change and you know playing through that you know what is the worst that's going to happen if you have
1: that conversation and also the what is the worst going to happen well you've already clearly been thinking that in your current role you're not necessarily ticking all the boxes you want to tick so you've already must have been thinking about that setup and if you go and have that kind of conversation with your line manager or your boss and they shut it down straight away and say why are you even asking Mm -hmm. about that well that in itself is Mm -hmm. a bit of a step of like maybe it's a bit of a red flag Maybe this isn't the kind of place I'm really wanting to go. And so even if you feel, oh, this might harm my career prospects in this organisation, well, if it does harm them, then that's probably not the organisation for you. And so it's a a positive win-win situation. Either they'll be really Mm open-minded and want to keep you, great. Or if they shut you down and say, no, that's not really what we're looking for. We haven't got anything like that. Well, that's helping you actually make a decision. Maybe now is the right time to step away.
0: It's important to find a role really that's going to give you joy at work. You know, we all have to work for many hours each week. You know, one of the reasons that I left more traditional accounting is I look at some of my friends I qualified with, they earn significantly more, huge amounts more uh, than I do. But Are they fulfilled? Okay, they might be fulfilled in one aspect of their life, but actually they're spending a huge amount of time in a job that they don't like, that they don't enjoy. And then they're almost having to use that money to then combat that that loss of joy with something Mm -hmm. else. And it's about, as you say, thinking holistically, thinking you know a balanced approach as to you know what it is that's going to bring you some kind of joy because we're only on this planet for a short space of time and I couldn't think of anything worse than being in a job that I constantly disliked on a regular basis Now, don't get me wrong I do love my job but there are parts of it that are challenging that I don't enjoy as much but on balance it brings me more joy than it then it does. You know, my balance of the scales, the joy is higher than the discomfort or dislike.
1: Yeah. And it's interesting, you know, both of us in our career stages, we're not at the position thinking so much about money because we we've kind of been there, moved up through the career ladder. And that's the last thing I would just say to people, particularly if you're quite early on in your career, it can feel like your value or the job that you're going to is purely Measured by what salary it gets given. And I know we all need enough money to save up for a deposit to get on the housing ladder and everything like this. But I would strongly say, as a qualified accountant, you should be earning okay ish money anyway. And so just really look carefully at those jobs which are quite at the higher end paid jobs and think. What am I sacrificing to take that? And actually, if I don't take that really quite high end job, but get just instead a good paid job, am I financially going to be completely scuppered in that way? And I think often many people realise after a while, the good paid job pays enough and that double paid job, which is really high end, might be brilliant. Think of all the things I can do, but it comes with quite a lot of baggage really to go with it
0: will you ever have the time to, to you know to, to um to to use i think that's sometimes you well, know that's that's,
1: so that's the aware. great one of the greatest bits of advice i often give to uh, our apprentices when i'm talking towards the end of their qualifications i say remember there's the classic saying of those three stages of life when you're young you have no money but loads of time and loads of your health when you're sort of middle age, that kind of parent age, you've got money, you've got your health, but you've got no time because you're always at work. You're sorting out your kids, things stuff like this. And when you're in that retired phase, um, you've got money, you've got time, but your health goes. And I say to people, sometimes you're really fortunate as an accountant because that money aspect will actually start coming in sooner than many other people's qualifications. Um, will. And so you start getting that money in quite a bit earlier. And one of the things you've got to think of is in that middle zone is that time side of things. If I can earn enough money to feel I've got enough money, I've still got my health. Is there anything I can do on that time aspect? And I would warn you those jobs which look lovely with the 70, 80, 90 grand salaries, I don't know how much time you're going to have for your life in those um, jobs. And so, you know, just Choose wisely of what you do, but it's not for life. It's not for life. Even if you do it for like five, 10 years, that's not the whole of your career. And you can always make a choice. That's what I say to people, particularly as accountants, you've always got a choice to change and to step into something new. As a qualified accountant, you can have options open to you. You just have to be willing to make quite a change, either in your location or your salary or your job role. But there's roles out there for you.
0: That is the benefit of being qualified. So if anyone's listening to this saying, well, I haven't got to that qualified state yet, use that as a bit of motivation to get there because there are so many different avenues that are open to you as a finance professional, So whether it's working overseas, whether it's moving into education, you know, moving into perhaps the civil service, there are so many different roles once you've got that qualification. So keep, keep that in mind, that end goal that you've got at that stage, and then you can move on to that, to that next bit of, okay, I've I've got this time back now because I'm not studying. What you don't want to do is then, sap away all that time by getting yourself into a into a role where you're not going to get that 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 balance and you're you're going to lose all that time or you're spending the first week of your, your two-week holiday just absolutely exhausted and recovered you know before trying to recover so it's, it's about trying to get balance and so to really wrap up then any final thoughts from you around how do I progress my career how do I make that that change.
1: Yeah, I'd say we've talked quite a lot about those non-accountancy type skills, presentation skills, communication skills, people skills, delegation, yeah, sort of appraisals and line managing. And all of those don't come naturally to people. And my main tip here is just because you finish studying for your exams, don't think oh, I don't need to study or learn anymore. You might not be coming to college to do it, but Be very open to learning either from workplace learning, from sitting in with others or watching what they're doing or reading books or watching videos about some of those skills. Because the more you can develop those skills, the far higher you could reach in your career. So that's my main message is don't just think at the end of your exam journey, that's it for learning new things. You move on to that. Those have got you the role but now to really progress in the role you need to carry on learning on some of those softer things we've been talking about during the during the talk.
0: I think my final tips would be think about what your own personal non-negotiables are. So when you're looking at that next step or your current role and where it's going what are your personal non-negotiables and then making sure if you do make that change whether it's into a different role at your current employer or looking outside that employer, what are those non-negotiables and making sure that you stick to them so you can hopefully enjoy a fulfilling career. Good luck, everybody. Thank you for listening. And we'll see you again on
1: another podcast soon.